everybody. Um, I'm Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be here today. It's going to be a fun time, I hope. At least it'll be fun for me, for you guys. I'm not so sure, but we're going to go after it anyway. So um, I spend most of my time working with the ministries that work with people 24 and under. And so I love that, and I love um, what we get to do here. And I'm really excited about what we're doing as a church, what God is doing amongst us, and what you as a church have done with the Feed My Starving Children thing. That was a big deal. I know sometimes we hear statistics and we think about numbers and those things can just kind of go off our head. But I've had the privilege of being, being able to see where those Feed My Starving Children meals go and actually deliver them to people and see some of the faces that, that um, benefit from that. And so those 1,400 uh, individuals, those kids that are fed for the whole year, those are real people. And their bellies will be full because of you and because of what God has done and the resources he's given you and that you've invested your time. So thanks for doing that. And I think as a church, that's our job to do, right? We always look, want to look for ways which we can tangibly act like Jesus. So if that means we wear an ugly hairnet and throw some rice in, in a bag and stuff like that, then that's what we'll do. Or if that means we run a 5K just, to, uh, just for an excuse to spend money to work hard, <laughs> that's what we'll do. And so I, I love that. And I'm always looking forward to seeing what God will do. So I'm excited about today because we're going to talk about um, something that's really important to me. Um, it's the thing that we're, it's really, I think, going to impact us, hopefully all of us, because of what God can do, not only in our lives, but in the people who we come in contact with all the time. So the series we've been in is called Love Liable. And the whole premise comes from the fact that when Jesus looks at the way, we look at the way Jesus loves us. Um, and we, as, if you're a Christ follower, you believe that Jesus Christ loved you in such a sacrificial way. They stepped out of the throne room of heaven where he's being worshiped all the time to come be born in squalor and then grow up and live a, and then offer his life for us. He lived a life of sacrifice. And so when we think about that love that he expressed to us and that he gives to us ordinary people, then we think about how that should move us to action. And that's what John 15 talks about. So you can look up here on the screen. I think, oh, I didn't click it hard enough. There we go. And Jesus says this to us, okay? So he's in John chapter 15, that's a great part of the Bible if you ever want to read it. It's a letter that, you know, as Jesus is talking a little bit about what's going on for his followers and giving them a kind of an understanding about what to expect and what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's a good place to read if you're a person who's following Jesus and you want to keep be reminded about your responsibility and what it looks like to be connected with God and the benefits from all that. Well, here's what he says, a very simple verse in John 15, 12, but has huge ramifications for our life. He says, my command is this. And a command, if you believe Jesus is your Lord, he's commanding you. He says, my, my command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. And so that's what we've been talking about for these past few weeks. What does it look like to love people the way Jesus loved us? What does that look like? And so last week we talked about how love always trusts and those different things. And today we're going to talk about a new thing for some of us, but something we talked about before. It's like, it's it, love, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is, this comes from, is something you maybe heard at a wedding someplace before. They call it the love chapter, right? And it's a, it's, we do a cruel joke to these young couples, right? You bring them up in front of people and you read this passage to them about how great love is. And what lo love is patient, love is kind. It always does this and all that. And you say, now that's the way you're supposed to love each other. And we kind of like, oh, that's a big job. I mean, that's a scary thing. For me, when I hear the word always, that's a big deal because I don't see a whole lot of loopholes in always. It always trusts, you know, always protects. And today, it always hopes. We as people are naturally hopeful people. We hope for things all the time. I hope it stops raining. I really do, right? I mean, I got a pool I want to go to or something like that, right? Or, 
And, you know, I hope the, be- the, the vacation, I hope the beach is going to be awesome this year. Maybe you go to Cedar Point, you're like, I hope this line is worth it, you know? And you know, it's like, I hope they change this summer. I hope I go through some changes this summer. I hope this summer is a good one for me. I hope I find something to do with the kids all summer long, because if not, I might kill them, you know, because they're going to drive me crazy. Why does school not go year round? You know, things like that. We hope all the time. I can't wait for things, right? I can't wait. It's all about hopeful things. I can't wait for this to get better. I can't wait for this next phase of my life. If you're 16 years old, I can't wait to drive. You know, if you're a college student, I can't wait to get a real job where I can make real money. Or some of us are getting, we start Mondays off by thinking, I can't wait till Friday. You know, we're always longing or looking for something better. I hope, she says, yes. Well, if you're, hopefully you go into that before you ask the question of if she's going to say yes or no. Hopefully it's more than hope. Hopefully, you know, don't ask the question of marriage unless you know the answer. It's a little advice I give to my boys. My boys are like, well, we're not dating anybody. I'm like, I know, but that's good advice. Take it. They're like, leave me alone. I said, okay. So love always hopes. So we think about hope, though. We think about the hope that that's talking about. That's kind of like a wishful thinking. I desire it. I hope this marriage works out. I hope I live a long life. I hope I make it to retirement. I hope I have a good retirement. I hope, I hope, I hope. We tell that all the time. What the Bible's talking about here is a different kind of hope. It's talking about a hope that's really where you're secure of salvation or secure of the ending, of secure of what's to come. So I like to um, watch sports once in a while. A lot of times if they keep score, I'll usually watch it. You know, um, I, and I enjoy it. I enjoy sports. And there was a football game not, not too long ago, a couple years ago, that I waited like 30 years to watch. I was so excited for it. So I grew up a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and I love the Philadelphia Eagles. From when I was a little kid, I remember in 1980 watching them lose the Super Bowl. And then after that, losing is what they did well. They knocked it out of the park. And the 80s were rough, and I just remember. So I like football. I enjoy it. And every time you're watching, you're like, I hope this year's better. I hope this one's different. Well, then two years ago, everything worked out in a perfect kind of way and all things fell together and they made it to the Super Bowl. And so what I did is the Super Bowl, it happened on Sunday night. We have our college group that meets at our house. And so I'm going to watch the Super Bowl with um, you know, our family and our, our college friends. This is going to be great. But then I started thinking, oh, but if I have to watch, these, watch it with these college kids, I've got to act like good in front of them. I got to like watch my language. I'm just kidding. I don't really have a language problem. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, you should watch your language. It's bad. No, I'm just, it was a joke. It was meant to elicit laughter and it, it worked about 20%. So we'll remember that for the next time. So as you think about, so I was like, oh man, no, anyway. So I'm watching this game and, and some of you might be like me. I know it's really silly. It's really foolish. And those of you who don't like sports, you really see through all this whole, whole facade. And it's just people out there running around in costumes, kicking a ball around. It's, it's just funny, right? But for us who like sports for some reason, we're blind to that. And we get passionate about these things. And it act, actually can affect how we behave. And so I remember watching this football game. I'm like, oh, there's my team. They're out there. I can't believe it's the Super Bowl. Like they even know who I am, right? They, like they even care about Brad Dietzke. Who cares? But I'm excited. It's like, we're going to win. We're excited this year. But then again, we might lose. But at least we made it this far. Oh, don't think that way. We could win this game. Well, then the game's going great. Everything's working out great. I'm like, oh my goodness, the Eagles could win this thing. But then I remember they're playing those New England Patriots. And that Tom Brady, he wins at everything. He just wins at life, right? And I look at this guy and, and I'm like, sure enough. And he starts leading the Patriots back. Oh, and then it looks like for sure the Eagles are going to lose. And so there's my hope, gone. I'm like, oh, you never know. There's still time left. Well, then the Eagles start going better again. All of a sudden, the next thing you know, they're up by eight points. And it's like, wow, they have a chance to win. 
But then Tom Brady has that one last chance to throw that one long Hail Mary pass. And I'm sure that that Patriot guy is going to catch it. And if he catches it, then they'll get the two-point conversion. They'll go to overtime, and the Eagles will be losers again. Because if there's anything I know about some of my teams, and maybe you guys have a team like this, they're good at losing, and they always find ways to lose. But we're thinking, oh, not this year, though, right? No, anyway, but it's like they always find ways. And sure, but then the pass went, it bobbled around, and it fell to the ground. And the Eagles won. They won the Super Bowl. Confetti everywhere. It's great. You know, I stayed up late till like 3 o'clock in the morning watching all the press conferences. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. All the tension that I went through, all the buildup, all the highs and lows. It was so hard, but it was so great. I was victorious, and I was celebrating, and it was wonderful. About a football game. But now when I watch that game about every six weeks or so, as I watch it now, I don't feel that way anymore because I already know they won. I don't have to hope anymore because I already know the outcome. I already know that they won. And because, how they, because they won, it's a totally different experience for me. It's like, oh, look at that guy. They think they still have a chance. <laughs> they lose. This is so great. Tom Brady went down that one time. Yeah, and my team took him down. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, and some of you are like, oh, I don't care about sports. But some of you remember what it felt like in 2016 when the Cavs won, right? And it's like all of that. But you look back now, it's like they already won. I, I, if I rewatch the game, it's totally different. But I think that's what hope is for us. When we know the ending... When we know how it all works out, it should change how we live. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you really believe you know the ending. You believe that one day Jesus will make all things new. That one day he has an eternity secured for you. That one day there will be no more tears. That one day you will be made perfect. Those things that you wrestle with will be gone. And so you know that that is all, you, you believe that that's going to happen. So it should change how you live. And that's what this guy Paul is talking about in, in 1 Corinthians. We're going to turn there here in a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As you look there, and you can turn to page 933. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath it, a chair in front of you there. Just pull that out and just write your name in there so we know it's yours now and not ours. Take it home. I encourage you to read it. And it's where, it's where you can learn to understand the heart of God through there. But in, as you read through this, Paul is writing this. Now, Paul was a guy who at one point in his life, he would have been the exact opposite of someone who believed in Jesus. He would have been the exact opposite of a Christ follower. And then when something miraculous happened. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Something miraculous happened. It changed his life. He met Jesus face to face. It changed his life forever. And his job went from being trying to rid the world of Christ followers to now reaching the world and trying to help everybody understand the opportunity to become a Christ follower. And so he talks about hope. And he talks about the hope of one day that we too will be able to see Jesus for his followers. And you can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll read this for you, verse 12 through 22, or you can follow along. He says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. He's like, if there's no hope for one day that there's something better than this for his Christ followers, if you don't believe that, then why believe anything? He says, verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. The resurrection of Jesus makes all the difference in the world. The Bible says that if he didn't raise from the dead, we are wasting our time. More than that, he said, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If all that we have is the hope of Jesus, but we don't, there's no, nothing after this, he's saying we really, 
of wasting our time. But he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Love always hopes means this, that we have a secure foundation to put our hope in. But what is our hope based on? Our hope is based on the fact that our God rose from the dead. See, what happened was God, a long time ago, God created the world and made it to be perfect. And he put man, and he created man, and he put man on this earth, and it was, they were in perfect relationship. But he wanted man to love him, so he gave man the opportunity. He says, you love me and follow me, or you choose your own way. But he gave people a choice whether to follow him or not. So Adam and Eve, what they did was they drifted away from God. They chose their own path. They thought they knew what was best, and they sinned. And they, and they turned their back on God and went their own way. They chose themselves. But when that happened, it brought brokenness into our world. That's where disease came from, sickness. That's where health came from, and painful um, labor for women. That's, all those things came because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And so they were broken. And since that time on, for the next, for the next years, what mankind did for the rest of those days was they tried to fix their brokenness. They knew that there was something wrong. They knew that there was something missing. So they wanted to pursue whatever they could do. So some people chose power. If I can become powerful, if I can get power and prestige, then that will solve my problems. That will fix my brokenness. And then that's it. Or they say, if I can just pursue your relationships, a perfect relationship. If I find the one, we'll just have nice romantic days forever and ever. And it's going to be great. And they realize that sometimes that lets them down. And that, and that didn't fix what was wrong with them. And they start thinking, you know, if I just have a lot of money, if I get wealth, if I get all of that stuff. And so mankind has always been looking for ways to fix their brokenness. And God looked down and he saw that man was hopeless. And in his infinite plan, he sent his son Jesus onto this earth. And this is a review for a lot of us, but think about this for a second. I want you to be, oh, we should never not be blown away by the goodness of God. And when he saw mankind or hopelessness, he wanted to offer hope. So he sent his son Jesus onto this planet. Jesus was born, stepped out of the throne room, born in, you know, in a manger, whatever that looked like back in the day. Definitely not born, not in a place fit for a king. But then he was raised up. And then around 30 years old or so, he started going out and doing all kinds of things, got followers. And he lived a perfectly sinless life. And then one day, it came to the appointed time where he was to lay down his life. And so he gave up his life for his friends. And that's what John 15, 13 says right after 15, 12, that no greater love is this than a man lays down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus offered up his death because he knew that without his death, there was no hope for us. A perfect sacrifice had to be made. Somebody had to be punished for our wrong, and it was Jesus. And he willingly laid it down. And there he was, buried in a grave. Imagine his followers, though, if you would. Imagine you were Peter, one of his disciples, early to followers. Peter was a guy who had a good business fishing, and that's what he did. But he heard about something greater in Jesus. He heard about his job to fish for people. So he dropped his nets and he followed Jesus. And he went and saw Jesus do amazing things. And he thought Jesus really had a big plan. But there's this king, dead on a cross, now buried in a grave. I don't think Peter, Peter went not having a lot of hope. Think about Matthew. Matthew was a guy who made his money off of cheating people by collecting their taxes in a way which he would benefit from other people. So he cheated people. He gave up that life to find something greater in Jesus. And he saw his God. He saw his master buried. He said, there's something not right. And so the followers of Jesus, they didn't know what to do. They forgot. But see, Jesus told them all along he was going to do this, but they just didn't hear it. 
So he gathered, all his followers are gathered up. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, showing that not even death could beat God. Not even death could, you know, he was by his own power could step out of the grave and forever changed and shaped all of eternity. And his followers got empowered, emboldened, and they went and they changed the world because they saw their hope with their own eyes. And Jesus did, delivered on what he promised. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we as his followers can have assure, assurance and can have hope that there is something that's better that's out there. That we too one day will be made new. That we too one day will receive the rewards of being a follower of, of God. That we as the children of God will one day be able to reap those benefits. And he knows that here on earth it can be difficult because Jesus lived on earth. And so when he says love always hopes, he wants us to base our hope on him. But then let that hope that we have in him, because that security we have, we know that we win in the end, that we as Christ followers will be with Jesus forever and ever in heaven and celebrating with him. Because we know that's to come, it should change how we live. It should change how we look at people. We should never look at people the same way. We should stop looking at people like they're, like they're lost causes. Love always hopes means we begin to look at people the way that Jesus did. So here's a couple things that I thought through. They're not perfect, I'm sure, but here we go. Love is optimistic, not pessimistic. When we say love always hopes, we as, as Christ followers should be optimistic people. Instead of looking for the worst in everybody, we should be looking for what's best about them and believing in them and what God can do in them because it's not about their effort, but because of what God has done in us. If you're a Christ follower today, think of where you would be today without Jesus. God used you and rescued you. So we should have that kind of optimism about people. When we see people, we shouldn't look at them as like, oh, that's a big project. I don't know if I can fix that one. Someone else is going to have to reach out to that person. We should start seeing what could God do in their life. You should start having vision for people's lives that God can do something big. Because God always does big things. God always uses ordinary people to do incredible things. So love always hopes is we're being optimistic. So if you're a parent, it's looking at your kids. It's not looking at what they're not. It starts seeing maybe what God has in them for it and start thinking about what he can be in the future, what your child can be in the future. If you're in a relationship, it's not thinking about what your relationship isn't right now. And start thinking about what could God do in it. If it's that, if it's that loved one who's caught up in things that you know are destructive, it's not looking at them and thinking, you know, it's like, there's no hope for them. Love always hopes. Jesus did the impossible for us. Surely we can hang on and fight for people. So it's optimistic. So if you spend your life complaining a lot, stop. You're no fun at parties. No one likes the complainer. It's like, oh, this is great. Aren't you having a good time? Well, it's a little cold in here. Oh, yeah, it is. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Well, isn't that great? Well, you know, I'm not a real big fan of guacamole, and that's the only dip they had for my chips. It's like, okay, you know, this is a good time. Take up intermittent fasting. It'll be fine. You know, whatever it is, it's like, just stop complaining. It's like, oh, the Wi-Fi's slow. It's so hard. No, be optimistic. God's going to do big things, but God's going to do big things in people's lives. The next one is love sees possibilities even in impossibilities. God, love sees, sees possibilities. Love does not look and say, there's no hope for the homeless in our community. Love doesn't look and say, there's no hope for that person. They are too far gone. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Love sees possibilities, even in impossible situations. That's what I feel when I go to Haiti. The first time I went to Haiti, 
I thought, whew, it's a tough, it's a tough place. Haiti's no joke. It's hot, and it's hot. And with skin complexion like mine, with a nice little hairstyle I have that beats the heat, it's tough. You know, it's hard. You know, and I, when I take our teenagers there, and they're, they're, they're always trying, you know, we have fun down there, but they're always hot and they're always tired. So I gather them together after they've complained a while. How many of you are hot? How many of you are tired? It's good. We all know everybody's hot and tired. We don't have to talk about it anymore, right? Let's keep moving. But the reason why they're hot and tired is because it's a hard place. It's a difficult place. People don't there, down there don't always have drinkable water. Electricity, not really. Um, nine out of ten people, I believe, are unemployed. There's not a lot of hope. It looks impossible. But then you meet an individual who lives there, who loves Jesus. And you start hearing about the joy that they have in the Lord as they live in what we would say are difficult places. As they might live in a place that's built with wood and a, you know, a, a blue tarp on the, for their roof. Using charcoal you know, to heat, cook their food and boil their water so they can drink it. You look at people like that and you see this joy. It's like, man, God is changing their life. And you walk out of there as you're the student. You learn from them about having joy and what it looks like. But hope sees possibilities, even in impo most impossible situations. Because from the outside, it looks like there is the hope. Next one. Love, love thinks long term, not right now. So parents, if your child is not measuring up who you want them to be right now, hold on. Hold on hope for them. This could just be a chapter in their life where they're struggling. Don't give up. Don't just look for quick fixes. A lot of times what us parents do is it's like, oh, I've got a problem. I'm going to go on um, Amazon and buy a book. I'm going to download on Audible. I'm going to listen to something about parenting, and I'm going to solve all my issues. And if I can just get a couple little tidbits and tell my kid, I'm sure by the end of the summer they'll be, you know, 4.0 students. You know, they'll be great kids. You know, it doesn't work that way. Because they're people just like you and me are. And they're wrestling through life trying to figure out who they are, trying to figure out their identity, and they just don't know how to understand maybe how to behave. But sometimes we want to, it's like, I don't know if they're ever going to get it. But if you're a parent, you know what it's like. You're always holding out hope, right? You really believe that God can change their life. Because you think long term. What could God do in the long term? Don't just look for quick fixes. Don't just say, well, I tried. I told them about Jesus. They didn't want to hear it, so I guess I did my part. I mean, I prayed for my, I prayed for them, right? That's good, right? Don't just think quick. Think long term. Okay, and then the last one is, oh, I went too far back. I can go back, right? Okay. Love sees eternal more than temporal. Okay? Love sees eternal things. Thinking about it. Because we're eternal beings. That God has made us this way. And we live on this earth for a very short time. I'm 46. And I feel like time is passing me by. Okay? And some of you are like, oh, you're only 46. And some of your younger ones are like, my goodness, that's old. You're like, my parents old. You're old. And you know, it's all those things. We've all been there, right? It's like, I remember when my dad was my age. You know, it's kind of strange. You know, we had a very similar haircut and all that stuff. So it's like, but it's strange to think about that. It's like, where does time go? Time just goes so fast. Like right now, you'll blink and summer will be over. It's going to go quick. And some of you maybe are on the, you've been living on this earth long, a lot longer than others. And you're feeling that right now. Life is short here. But man, what God gives us the opportunity to invest in his people and in our lives. And they live for eternity. And we can impact people for eternity. What's more important, that a person finds a hope in Jesus 
or that they're good citizens on this planet. We want people to find a hope in Jesus and so we don't settle for the short term. So I'd encourage us to think about this hope that we have, this hope that Jesus talks about. It's available to all of us. We should be moved to act though. If I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, it should change the way I act. And so we as Christ followers can be different. But it's not easy to offer hope, is it? My father-in-law actually has a quote, which he, I, mean, I think my kids, he's making my kids get him tattooed on his back, I think. I'm not, not really. Um, it's more like a business card. But anyway, he says, this is what my father-in-law says, it's great. He says, love is wanting God's best for someone. It's hoping for the, God's best in someone. I want what's best for you. So parent, you're thinking about your children. It's not wanting your best for them. It's not wanting them to fulfill your dreams. You know, people, your spouse, it's not them that you think about, I want to change them to be, meet my needs. It's wanting God's best for someone. What's best for someone? Expecting nothing in return, believing it will probably cost you something. Hope is expensive. It costs. Because if you really want to act it out, it's difficult. It will put you in difficult places. It might mean you don't live up to other people's expectations. Because some people might have an expectation on you that you live this way. But you're like, well, God's calling me to do this instead. It might cost you something. It might cost you to say, it's like I look over in Chad, Africa, and I see people who need the hope of Jesus. And for some reason, God's welling up something in me that I think I'm supposed to go make a difference. And I want what's best for them. I want God's best for them. So I'm going to uproot my life. It's going to cost me something. And I'm going to move to Chad, Africa. And people are like, you're moving where? There's no Wi-Fi there. I mean, seriously, do you know how hot it is there? You know, but what about seeing your family for vacations and stuff? What do you, what's it's going to cost you? Because, but you want what's God's best for someone. And if you're in high school, it might be this, reaching out to the people. I see someone over there who has no hope. Everyone else is throwing them away. Everyone else is forgetting about them. Nobody cares about them. And for some reason, God's telling me to. So I'm going to step away during the lunch line. I'm going to go be with them instead of being with my friends this time. For parents, it might be this. It's like, I'm going to be in it with my kids, even though they're doing things I don't want them to do. I'm not going to quit on them. I'm going to give up my time. And it's, it's agony. It's painful. I know it's going to be late night conversations. I know it's going to be difficult ones. I know it's going to be hard things. It might lead me to hard places. But I'm going to do it because I want what God's best is for them. Because I hope. Because love always, always hopes. It doesn't take a break. It keeps going after people. And that's why we do hard things at our church. That's why we care about diff difficult places. Because someone's got to, because people are in need of hope. But the reason why we, we look at hope is because we know that Jesus has given us hope. We have a secure hope. We don't have to live our lives based on circumstances. Do you know if you're a Christ follower, your circumstances, they, won't, they don't affect your joy. I mean, they're not going to be easy. They might be difficult. Paul had a very tough time. But it doesn't mean that you won't win in the end. When you're a Christ follower, it's amazing what God can do in your life when it becomes hope. So imagine you're in a workplace and you think about that person who's in your workplace that everybody else is talking about. You've heard about their life situation from everybody else. And you know they're in pain, but nobody knows how to approach them. What if God has put you there in that whole career that night, business career, that whatever professional career that you're in so that you can reach that worker, that coworker for him. And may you step out 
and do the uncomfortable thing. Well, if I talk about Jesus here, am I going to get in trouble? If I try to get in there, what if they think of this being too personal? What? But you know it's going to cost you something, but you step out anyway and you do it. See, what happens is when we follow Jesus, we have an incredible perspective. And some of us are just feeling like real nice and comfortable right now. It's like, hey, I feel good. Everything's good for me. My kids love me. They love Jesus. My, my, my job is good. I'm secure. Everything's fine. Well, a lot of times when I get real comfortable, it usually means I've got to step out and be stretched a little bit. Because there's a guy named Paul, as we talked about earlier. He wrote this in Philippians. Look, what, look at his um, perspective. on. Oh, go back a second. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 through 24. You can look on page 951. So Paul, the same guy who wrote um, the love chapter we talked about, the guy we talked a lot about here. But now he's in a very difficult situation. He's writing this letter. In prison, he's writing out to people. And his, his perspective is incredible. If you're ever feeling bad about yourself, read through the whole book of Philippians. And there you read about contentment, whether I'm poor or rich, whatever it is I can find contentment. But listen to what he says here. And think about this perspective of hope. So if you're thinking right now, I'm comfortable in my life. Life's easy. I'm just doing what I want to do. This is the kind of stuff that rocks my world a little bit. Because Paul has a perspective that I'll be honest with you, I have not arrived at yet. And most days of my life. There are moments where I'm there, but most days I have not arrived here. And listen to what he says. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And he's not just talking about being persecuted by being picked on or being like on blast on social media or something like that from somebody. He's talking about real pain and real difficult things. He says, verse 21, listen to this. Here's the perspective. For, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's a very, very hard perspective to have. It's easy to say. It sounds good in a Bible verse. You might even want to put it on a mug. I don't know. It sounds good. But you think about it. For me to live as Christ, everything in my life is devoted to Jesus. That while I'm here on this earth, everything I do will be for him and be motivated by him. And then if I were to die, better yet. This is what he keeps saying. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Awesome. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul's like, he knew he had a mission and he knew he had people that he was, he was called to reach out to. He knew that God had a plan for him. God had a purpose. His job was to reach the non-Jewish world with, with the gospel. That's what his job was to do. The other disciples focused on that. The, his job was to reach the world. Because what Paul did, we're sitting here today. He said, but it's better though if I were to depart and to be with Christ. So many of us were so afraid of the future we think about death. We're not thinking like, oh, I get to be with Jesus. Or we might sing about heaven and think, oh, that'll be nice not to be in pain anymore. But I kind of want to live my life now. But I encourage you to keep seeking after Jesus because there's a hope. The hope that we have that's available to us is so much richer than anything we have on this planet. It's just we haven't seen it yet. And Paul, when he talks about these things, he wants us to walk with that kind of perspective. Because if I have a perspective that I can't lose that everything I do is motivated by Jesus, it changes how I view people. It changes how I interact with people. It changes how I view them in, in every which way. And it changes how I live. 
And some of you and all of us have people in our lives who are in desperate need of hope. Every one of us knows someone imprisoned by hopelessness. I want you to think about that person right now. The person that came to your mind when, this, when we read this, that everyone in our life, everyone has someone in their life that's imprisoned by hopelessness. What if God wants you to be the one who reaches them? Do you believe that God can make a difference in their life? But Brad, it's been so hard. It just wears on me. I'm trying so hard to help this person and they don't want any of it. And I know you can only help people who want to be helped. But that doesn't mean you give up hope for them. Oh, Brad, this is this constant cycle of destructive behavior, destructive behavior, destructive behavior. I'm just tired of it. I'm just sick of it. I'm done with it. I'll let someone else handle it. But love always hopes. But Brad, you don't understand. My situation is different, and I'm sure it is. And I don't know anybody's situation. We all, but we all have people in our lives that you watch them imprisoned by this hopelessness. Now, for some of us, we are in situations where it's not safe. And I'm not talking about putting ourselves in in unsafe places. The way you always hope for that person might be to continually pray for them and, can, and find other people who can step in and help because you know that if you're in there, it's, distru- it's, it's painful and it could really be unsafe. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is the people in our lives who we can invest in over and over and over again. And the reality is it gets hard because you want what's best for them because you know that God has something better for them. If they could just see it, if they could just see the foolishness of it, Anybody who's lived as a teenager who follows Jesus now 20 years later like I do, right? You look back at your kids and you look back at these young people like you, know, you say, teenagers, I just wish you could see through the whole facade of popularity and all that stuff. It doesn't even matter. Or all that chasing you're doing after things that are worthless, right? And you feel hopeless at times. Like, are they ever going to get it? Maybe in your neighborhood, you think, as you look at your, your neighbor, you're trying so hard just to kind of get through them because you know they need Jesus for their life. You know that someone needs hope and you get tired and you get weary. And that's the reality of living on this planet. We're not Jesus. We are human people who struggle every day with our flesh. We struggle through life. But Jesus is like, keep our hope fixed. It's what, what um, in the book of the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, we'll turn there in a second. Isaiah, God gives a little bit of hope for those of you who are tired. Because it can be hard. It can be hard. Your kids just aren't being the right way they're supposed to be. That neighbor is just not who they're supposed to be. Your people aren't coming through for you like you hope. People just continually go down the path that you know is going to lead them off of a cliff and they won't stop no matter what you say. Listen to what God says in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40. This is a great passage. Um, sometimes in the Bible, um, I don't want to say God struts his stuff. That sounds a little bit like arrogant, but God flexes here a little bit. He does. He's kind of like, he's like, you know, let me, let me talk to you about who I am a little bit. It's like, I know, Isaiah, you got your things. I know people, you got your, your big deals and all that stuff. Just let me remind you about how big I am. And so he just kind of, you know, here we go. And he lays it out to Isaiah. And that's what Isaiah chapter 40 is all, is all about. But at the end, here's what he says. And if, especially if you're tired right now and you're weary of giving hope to people, you're thinking that middle schooler is never going to follow Jesus. Or you're thinking that college kid is just never going to pursue the right way. You think, you know, whatever it is, you think that, you know, your loved one, your spouse, that, that guy who's in his 50s, still struggling with the same thing over and over again. It's never going to change. His story's done. I'm tired of trying to reach him. And here's what he says. He says, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. The young men stumble and fall. Listen here. 
but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those of you who are tired, he's saying, hang on, because God who loves you, he's not tired. Put your hope in him. Don't try to put it on your own efforts. You can't change anybody. Rest in the fact that I am God, you are not. But don't, don't quit. Next week we're going to talk about love persevering. Don't quit. Keep sharing hope. Because you never know when God will make a difference. All throughout history, God has used ordinary people with jacked up stories, with bad stories, with stories where you're like, ooh, that's what in there? And, you just, and that, that's called the Old Testament, okay? It's all throughout the Bible, right? God did these, used these ordinary people who did some bad things. We'd look at them and say, well, that's pretty bad, you know? I mean, he did that. But then he used them and shaped their life, radically changed them into extraordinary people who shaped history. That's Paul's story. That story's throughout the Bible. So if you think, oh, that person's too far gone, they're not over yet. If you think for yourself, there's no hope for me. I'm old. My story's done. No, you're still here. God's not done with you yet. And there's still hope that you can share. Love always hopes. So you think about this for a second. Let's try to put some skin on this. So why don't we write people off? Because there's no lost causes. Why do we see there's no lost causes? Because love always hopes. Why would a person volunteer to subject themselves to the torture of working with middle school students? I mean, because they are mean. Vicious. They got, they got fangs. They'll come after you. They'll talk about you behind your back and they will make you feel like you are nothing. And that's just the girls. I mean, they're rough. So why would a female who loves Jesus say, you know what, I'm going to walk up to a group of middle school girls, a pack of them. Why am I going to walk up to them with their smartphones in their hand and their little looks? Why am I going to go up to them and try to break into them? Well, because love always hopes. Because you know those middle schoolers. What they don't need is some God to love them for them to be great. What they need is the hope of Jesus. And so you're like, I know the hope of Jesus. So I'm going to walk in there. They don't think you're cool anyway, so don't try to be cool. So you go in there and you start talking. And they might even text about you while you're standing there. But why do you do that? Because love always hopes. Now, why would a person want to hang around college students? I mean, college students, come on now. I love you college students, but you go take one philosophy class and all of a sudden you have life figured out. It's like no one's read that book before. You know, it's like I got it all figured out. But I don't know what I want with my life. You know, I want, I'm passionate about these things. But like that thing, I know I'm good at it, but it just feels like such hard work. So why would you, as someone who's got some more miles on why would a person invest in their life to help point them to direction so they can see who Jesus is and find what their purpose on this earth is? Because love always hopes. It doesn't write people off. It does hard things. It goes to difficult places. Why would a person move to a difficult neighborhood? Because love always hopes. Why would a high schooler go across for a classmate? Love always hopes. Why would a person continually pray for their loved one that's on the deathbed and keep continually visiting them day after day after day? Because love always hopes. You never quit going after hope with people. Because Jesus hoped for us. He stepped into our world and he was our hope. And look what he did for you and for me. He conquered the grave. We surely can walk across a room. But on our own, we'll never do it. But that's why we need to continually go back to the hope we have in him. So a lot of times it leads us to crossroads. 
If I do this, what I think God wants me to do, this is going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to cost me something. But I really believe that this is what God wants me because I have hope in this situation. That's the hard way. The crossroads we're often at is we can either do that or just say, yeah, I'm just going to let someone else do that. Just to walk away. So how do we get this hope? How do we become people who want to be like that? How do we get people who when we see people, we're not looking at all the wrong stuff about them? All of us are sinful. We're not looking at all the ways to put them down. We're not looking at them as like saying they're lost causes. We're not writing off the homeless. We're not writing off those who are mentally ill. We're loving people, caring for people. We're not writing off the people with drug problems. Because we realize they're just like me and you. They just don't have the hope in Jesus. So how do we get there? I got three simple little phrases I think that will be helpful for you. I'm a simple guy with a simple haircut that I even do by myself. How about that? Saves a lot of money. Okay. Here's the way we do it. Three simple phrases. The first thing is look up. Oh, there we go. Look up. Look up to God. I don't mean look up from your smartphone right now because you're probably reading your Bible, praying right now. I'm not meaning that. I mean, but look up to God. God, you are God and I am not. God, you're unbelievable. You're other. You don't fit in any box. You're perfect. You're holy. You're merciful. You saw a person like me who you know my past, you know my story, you know my thoughts, and yet you chose to make me your child. God, you're awesome in looking at God. I encourage us all the time when we have moments to set our hearts, put ourselves in situations and environments, spend our time opening the Bible to hear from the heart of God, but getting to know God. Because the more you get to know your father, it'll begin to change how you live as a child. The more you begin to say, Father, I can trust you, my Father. I can lean into you. I can hope you've got it all figured out. I know you're victorious. I know you conquered the grave. I'm with you, God. Look up to God. So many times we struggle with having hope because we're looking for everybody else's opinion. We're spending more time scrolling than we are spending time in God's Word. We're spending more time caring about people's opinions about whatever. We're looking what everybody else's expectations are for us, trying to figure out who we're supposed to be. Look up to God. He made you. He knows you. And he loves you anyway. The next one, it's real hard. They're going to get tougher. Look in, okay? Look up, look in. What is there in my life right now that I'm not offering hope towards people? Who are the people that I'm writing off? Or what's in my life right now that's keeping me from seeing people the way that God sees them. Jesus always broke through boundaries. He talked to people he wasn't supposed to. He cared for people that wasn't, wasn't socially cool to care for. He did hard things. What in my life is keeping me from living like Jesus? Why in the world, what in my life am I looking at where I think I'm better than other people? Look up to God and look in. Ask God, say, when God, say, God, show me the areas of my life where I'm falling short. And he'll show them to you. He shows them to you so you can get rid of them. Say, God, by your power, take him away from me. Forgive me. And then God looks at you just as if you'd never sinned. So look up to God. Who are you, God? Look into yourself and say, okay, God, what is my spot? And then the last thing is, look out, world, here we come. Okay, no, it's look out. Look out. Look outside of yourself. You start seeing people differently. You stop seeing people as projects. And you start seeing them as souls created by God. You stop seeing people's inconveniences. You see people in need of hope. 
You stop seeing people as annoying, whatever it is. You start seeing people different because you know at one time you were there too. And without God's grace, you could be exactly where they are. Love always hopes. It means we fight for people. We go to places other people won't go. We do hard things. We pray. And why we pray for people. And so that's why our church, we talk about praying for your three all the time. Well, the praying for your three isn't that they, people win the lottery or praying that they have good, safe lives, that they have traveling mercies or safety or whatever. Praying for people is this, when we pray for our threes, praying for people who are without hope, that they can find the hope in Jesus. And that's what we do. I think sometimes we've got to pray bigger prayers. Pray that God can do incredibly, incredible big things. Sometimes we just settle for, well, Lord, help me have a good day today. Help me make it through. I say, that's great. God wants to hear that stuff too. But sometimes we got to pray. It's like, why don't we pray? When was the last time you prayed for your neighborhood, your school, your community? Because what would happen if we as people embraced the hope that we have in Jesus and live like nothing else matters? Imagine the impact it would make on your family. Your kids would look different. Your kids would see something different about you. Imagine what it would do in your neighborhood. You'd start being known as a place of hope. People will look at you, instead of you're looking for ways in which you're trying to build walls up so you can't see your neighbors beside you, instead you'll be interacting in their lives. Maybe you're, you're a cul-de-sac or maybe you're a block like I have on Dilly Avenue. Something would be different about your neighborhood because you found hope. Because you're the power of the most high God living within you. Imagine how different your school would be, your workplace. If you, instead of looking at people and just thought about, I got to get mine and do what I'm supposed to do, you start looking and see what does God wants you to do. Imagine how our community can change. You want to see our city change? It's not going to happen by things from the outside coming in. It's only going to happen by the hope of Jesus. And the good part is, there's lots of us that have been given that job to take it to our world. What would happen if we as a church would rise up together, link arms together and say, let's take hope to the world and let's live it the way God wants us to do. Because if, if Jesus has changed your life, you want to offer hope because he'll always move you to action. If you've never come to a time, point in your life where you've said, you know what, I want to follow Jesus in my life and maybe you're a guest, maybe you're just uh, not a Christ follower yet, you're just thinking about, I'm not sure. I would just encourage you to look at your own life. Just want you to know a couple things. God loves you no matter what no matter what you think or whatever. God loves you, no matter what you've done or where you've been. And I would just ask you to look at your life. What is the basket you're putting all your eggs in? What is it you're putting all your hopes in? Well, if I, if I find my happiness here, or if I find that, what is it? Doing good things, helping people. What is it you're putting all your eggs in? Where do you find your hope? And where does that hope lead you to? And I would encourage you to, to explore Jesus. Because I really believe um, he is what you're looking for. And in him, you'll find what you're truly looking for. So I encourage us to look up, look in, and look out. But love always, always hopes. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for the work and what you're doing in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the care and what you've taken, Lord, to send your son into our world. When we were at our worst, Lord, you loved us anyway. And Lord, we as people are always trying to fix it and solve things ourselves, Lord, but you're like, here's the solution. And because of the hope that we have in you, Lord, because of the fact that you're not dead, that you rose from the dead, that you did all of the things you said you would do, Lord, we trust you. And Lord, we can put our hope in you completely. 
But Lord, I know it's a struggle for some of us. Because Lord, some of us have been bad at working with people that have just, it's just, they just appear hopeless. In our eyes and through our own lenses, we can't see any solution. But Lord, we know that you're always at work. And so Lord, we trust you. And whether things work out this life or not, we know, Lord, that we're doing what we're called to do and that's to offer hope. Lord, I pray that we'll lean into you and let you do your work and change people's lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you do. I pray that you give us the strength that we need today to be people you call us to, to be and to live like. Thank you, Lord, for the hope in what you have. And Lord, thanks again for loving us and calling us your children. In your name we pray, amen.